Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all. It's a delight that we get to open up God's Word together and reflect Him together. You know, uh, that song was uh, a song that, that I had come across a couple years ago, and, and then I think at the Crew Winter Conference, they sang it again, and I was like, oh, man, those are legit lyrics. And so, so Joe and I have been planning and thinking about how do we integrate that into to our worship list. And so we'll be singing that again next week as well as we begin to to consider it a little bit more. You know, I don't know what your households are like, uh, but in mine, a regular part of our dinner conversation are things that we like and are interested in. And so uh, as, as a way of trying to see, my kids are changing day after day, and so I never know what their favorite color is tomorrow or three days earlier or, or things that they're interested in. So I might say something like, you know, Adeline, boy, I think you're really good at being persuasive. So I think you should be a lawyer. And then without fail, she rolls her eyes at me, and then she decides that's the last thing she wants to do. Uh, but without realizing it, uh, what we're actually trying to talk about are life goals. Uh, she doesn't have to be a lawyer. That's fine. Uh, we, talked, we talk about her being an engineer. We talk about her being a nurse, a teacher, uh, other things. Uh, and, and as we talk about values, what I want her to consider is the outcome of what those goals are. And so I, the question I pose to you this morning, what's your life goal? How does being a follower of Jesus, not simply in name, but in our lives, how does that influence our life goals? Should it? And are there bigger goals and even smaller goals? So while we say, well, I have these small goals, but I've never thought about the big picture before. What is the overall goal, even if nothing else were to work out in your life, if life were to give you a report card and you just had a big fat red F all over it, what would your goal for your life be even if nothing else worked out? Well, that's what I want us to consider today. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open up to the book of Philippians. We uh, started, started this book a couple weeks ago and, and uh, are making our way through it. This is a letter that Paul has written right to to a group of organized Christians in Philippi. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Inside your sermon notes, we have the sermon text right there, so you're able to look at exactly what we're looking at together. Uh, we're going to be kind of camping out in chapter 1, verses 9 to 11 this morning. And Paul has been writing to this group of Christians, to this church, and talks about how he deeply loves them and appreciates them. He's been talking about how They've been partnering with him in the gospel from the very beginning of his ministry until now. Uh, and Paul, while he's writing this letter, remember Paul's in jail. And so the, the, the church in Philippi sends this guy named Epaphroditus to Paul because they're worried about him. And they're like, hey, dude, whatever you need, we want to help care for you. And so Epaphroditus does that. He's helping Paul. Paul writes a letter to the Philippians, sends it back to them with Epaphroditus delivering it to them. 
And as we've been going through the book of Philippians, as we do with every sermon series, we have our verse of the series that is going to help us think through the big idea of the book of Philippians and, and help us as we study it. And so for us, that's Philippians 1 verse 6, right? So let's all say that together, out loud together. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray for our time in God's word. Lord, we pray uh, for that very thing, that through your word, we would be reminded and shown how what you've begun in our lives, Lord, that you promised to complete. And so God, we pray that that was such a great promise uh, that we would live lives and have goals in our lives that are so big that if nothing else worked out right in, in what the world would say is okay, Lord, that, that we would not feel like we have failed. So Lord, help us through your word this morning to direct our lives and direct our hearts and our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Philippians is a really famous book. Okay, people have probably read this thing bazillions of times. If we added all the numbers of times, people in here have read this book. And so I think sometimes it can be so familiar, it's easy to miss some really important things because we're just so familiar with the passage. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you guys a roadmap. Here's what we want you to walk away with so that if you could summarize verses 9 to 11, kind of just in, in, in a really simple 10 words-ish or less, Here's what I think the big idea is that we want you to walk away with this morning. Make it your aim in life to love biblically, to live faithfully, and to glorify God greatly. That's what Paul's prayer is for the Philippians, as we're going to look at, and therefore that should be the goal for our lives also. So make it your aim in life to love biblically, to live faithfully, and glorify God greatly. Well, let me read our passage, and, and we're going to break down exactly how Paul is writing about that. So we begin in verse 9 of chapter 1 of Philippians, and it says this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Well, let's look at this biblical love here in verse 9. Uh, Paul has just finished greeting the Philippians in this letter. He's affirming true things about their lives because of Jesus at work in their lives. And, and it's interesting that, that Paul's love for the Philippians also has a great expectation with it. Paul's love for them also has an expectation of growth. Paul loved them for who they were, for whose they were, for their mutual participation in the grace of God, but Paul didn't expect them to remain the same. He wanted them to grow. So often love is described only as accept me as I am because I am who I am and I'm never going to change. But love from Paul has an expectation of change, a longing to grow and abound more and more 
So for example, when I first started playing trumpet, uh, I played, I, I was pretty good. I came from a, from a really musical family and I was stubborn enough not to quit. And then I got a really great trumpet teacher. Okay, so after a month with this trumpet teacher, man, I was really starting to sound a whole lot better. Well then fast forward three years of me studying under the same great trumpet teacher and I'm playing pretty well. Uh, enough for top honor spots and bands in the town and the state and getting solos and gigs and all this stuff. And if I was still the same trumpet player after three years of studying with this great trumpet teacher, well, then something would have been wrong. Something would have been off on that. But it was actually that the longer that I had an excellent teacher, the more I progressed the better I got and the more I grew. Well, friends, Christianity is no different. The longer that we are Christians, the longer the Holy Spirit influences our lives, if we are staying the same as Christians, well, there's actually a problem. Paul's love has the desire for those Christians to be transformed in every area of their lives. And so our love for others isn't hoping that they just stay the same, but that they would grow, that they would progress, that they would be changed. Just as much as a college student isn't ready to graduate their freshman year, but needs to grow and to be ready to graduate after, you know, four-ish years, well, so the Christian life, where we are to change by the influence of walking with Jesus. And so Paul's love for this body of believers continues to be seen as Paul talks about his prayers for them. Uh, and it might sound like stating the obvious here, but people who you care for are people you should be praying for. People who share in gospel partnership with you are people you should be praying for. So to even start... Uh, Grab a church directory and, and pray for, the, for, for just the people on, on that one page that, per, that day. It doesn't have to be any longer than even a two-sentence prayer. All right, there's lots of different ways to pray for people. But Paul's given a great example here of how he prayed for this body of believers. Interestingly, Paul doesn't mention any health issues. Not because they didn't have any, but because the greatest need in their lives and in our lives is what God is doing in the roots of our hearts that comes out in the fruit of our lives. So of all the things that Paul might have prayed for these Christians, Paul begins by mentioning their love in verse 9. He prays that their love would abound and grow with the nutrients of the soil of knowledge and the rain of discernment. Biblical love needs all three of these things. It needs knowledge, it needs discernment, and it needs to grow. So my son James and I play this really silly game, uh, oftentimes when we are avoiding going to bed. And it always starts like this. We, say, we, we start saying things that we love. I say, hey James, guess what? He goes, what? Like, like it's new every time. It's not. And I say, I love and he's like, mmm, yum, cookies. And then he goes, my turn. 
I say, okay. He goes, guess what? I say, what? He says, I love cookies. He, he just repeats whatever I say. And so it goes from cookies, and then we move on to pizza, and then we move on to soccer. And then he laughs at that point because he goes, ha, no eat soccer. <laughs> and then we move on to people, and I say, hey, James, guess what? He goes, what? I say, I love James. And then he laughs. He says, no eat James. See, we, it's, it's weird because we use the same word for love to reference cookies and pizza and soccer and people. And so it's easy to be confused on what love is when we see it in the Bible when it's used in so many different ways. And so three aspects of love that should be part of the, our love of others is that it should be influenced by knowledge it should be influenced with discernment and that our love for others should grow but not stay stagnant. Love should abound. It should grow, Paul says in verse 9. So true biblical love grows and increases. But love is to mature, not to stay puppy love. It's to mature like fine-aged wine. Biblical love is not a stagnant love. It's a growing love. The nutrients for love to grow is the soil of knowledge and the rain of discernment. So biblical love isn't blind. Biblical love isn't ignorant. And so we need to get rid of the idea that love is only beyond reason. No, if God is love, which he is, and if God is the source of love, which he is, and if God is knowable, then knowledge is tied to love abounding. Have you ever heard, the more I learned about a company or the more I learned about its culture and its values that they have and what they stand for, the more I grow to appreciate a company that's in business? Right? Love isn't mindless. Actually, the opposite is true. Knowledge ought to grow love. And I think the type of knowledge that, that Paul is referring to isn't just a general knowledge. Uh, this is the only place in the, in the book of Philippians where he uses this word, but it's not the only time that Paul uses this idea. And it's usually connected around the knowledge of God. So like in Colossians 1, Paul is praying for the Colossian church uh, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God to live a life worthy of the gospel. Or, or in Ephesians 4.13, Paul connects knowledge of God with maturity in standing firm in God, not being tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. And then kind of conversely, in the opposite way, in Romans 1, Paul describes people who suppress the knowledge of God, refusing to acknowledge God or know things about God, and so they live as enemies to God. And so Paul uses... Uh, is, is using knowledge in, in, in this letter connected to knowing God, to trusting God, and to following God. And so our love should grow with knowledge. So the longer we serve with someone else, the longer we pray together for things that are going on in our lives, the more that we are in life group together, the more that we are serving in, in, along in the trenches with one another, when we even serve others, the more we play softball together, 
The more we share life and play board games together, the more our love for each other should grow because we see God at work in each other's lives. And we're in the trenches together, seeing God use us and grow us. And so our love ought to abound. It ought to grow with the soil of knowledge. And so friends, if someone is going to say that they are loving you, but it, it doesn't correspond to them knowing you better and knowing how God is at work in your life more, well, friends, that's just not biblical love. Paul prays that their love would grow also with the reign of discernment. Right? Discernment is the application of that knowledge. So, so I'm thinking of Hebrews 5.14, where solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment to know between good and evil, the writer of Hebrews says. So to love well biblically, we need to be connected, we need knowledge to be connected to God and how we live out that knowledge. And so to know what is good versus what is evil. So love grows with knowledge and love abounds with discernment. So friends, is your love growing? In a real sense, the whole is the sum of the individuals, right? And so we as a church cannot be what we as individuals are not. And so in one sense, it's right to consider this personally. But, but we also need to remember that Paul's not just writing to an individual here. He's writing to an entire congregation. And so Paul's not writing a personal letter, but a corporate one. So Paul expects that the entire church's body, that their love should grow. And so when love abounds in a gospel community, well, that community is marked by a, by a pure desire to serve each other rather than envying and hurting each other. When we exercise the muscle of love among our body and growing in our knowledge of God and living it out with each other, well, friends, that's powerful. Our love should be growing and maturing together, not just staying stagnant toward each other. So one great way to do this is to pray, Philippians 1, 9 to 11, for the very people in our church directory every single month, right? Pick whatever page corresponds to the day of the month and pray this very prayer for them. Sometimes I wonder, you know, I... I don't know exactly what's going on in so-and-so's life. Well, I hope their health is okay. I, I hope their business is going okay. I hope their kids are doing okay. And th those are fine things to be praying for. But Paul seems to have a really laser-focused idea of exactly what he wants the Philippians to live by and be known by. And what better thing for us to pray for our own body? that we would be living out and be known by these very same things. So make it a point to pray for the people you're ministering to in the places you serve. So whether you serve at Awana, pray for your kids before Awana starts. If you're a youth discipleship group leader, pray for these students before your D group. If you're an IFI family, pray for your international students. Right, six times a year, we have business meetings. People get an update on our financials and what's going on in ministry of the church. Well, 
Friends, if there's a line item in our budget that's worth putting money towards, it's also worth praying for. And so if we want to be growing in our love, we need to do so with knowledge and discernment. So praying Philippians 1, 9 to 11 for our brothers and sisters is important. In fact, Paul later says that even if he dies as a result of following Christ, it's worth it. And so in some really important ways, uh, health and dying isn't even our ultimate concern when we pray. Living faithfully for Christ is the primary concern. So we see that biblical love grows. Well, let's look at verses 10 and, and 11a together, this faithful living. Uh, Paul, Paul writes this. He, he wants their love to abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So what, what we see here is Paul does not want the Philippians to just be really good at biblical love. Biblical love needs to lead to faithful living. To grow in love through knowledge and discernment is so that, verse 10 could be true, so they're able to know what is true and that their lives will be filled with the evidence of God at work in them. And so love results in thinking what is true, right? Approving what is excellent. So love isn't blind approval. Love is approving what is excellent. And what is the best way is not always obvious. Sometimes things seem good, but are actually like a worm on a hook, destructively hiding their true purpose. And so we also recognize that how we think influences how we act. Our actions are the fruit of our hearts, the fruit of what we believe and what we think. And so Paul's sights for the Philippians is for them to be fixed on the day when Christ will return for his people. To be ready for the day when Christ comes in preparing for you to get there. So preparing for the day of Christ includes living for Jesus today and to think about what is true and to live out that reality that God is so great in our lives to where we are living pure and blameless lives. Right, so walking an aisle 30 years ago but ignoring Jesus today is not really what Paul's talking about here. Can, can you imagine saying to God, God, you, you, the whole universe is yours, but just don't mess with my priorities in life. Don't be more important than my kids' sports. Don't be more important than my bank account. Don't be more important than my schedule and my priorities. Friends, our unwillingness to change and to be more like Christ reflects what we actually think about Christ. And so biblical Christianity is a call to change. A call not to remain, not to proclaim one thing and, and live something else, but a call to be transformed, to put off the old self and to put on the new self, to approve what is excellent and to live out faith in Christ. So Paul connects knowing God and moral discernment to living a life that is pure and blameless, ready for the day when we will go home to be with our Savior. Well, friends, often 
people around us and even in the world, we have this idea that says, it's, it's my life. I couldn't think of any other way but to quote the song, so I apologize. It's my life. It's now or never. I better enjoy it while I can. Exactly, exactly. And then we connect that idea that, that true living, therefore, must be as lawless and free as we can be. Right? So I'm going to experiment with every drug. I'm going to find people who love me for whatever lifestyle I want to live out without regards to whether it's right or even healthy. And yet Christians know that this life is not all that we have. It is merely the beginning of our eternity with God. And so our goal as Christians isn't to go hog wild, but to prepare for the day when we will be with our Savior in heaven, the day of Christ. Right? Think, think with me for a minute of a soon-to-be bride who, who's about to be married, and she goes to her bachelorette party. And in her mind, it's her last days of freedom before she's being tied down to that ball and chain forever. So she goes wild, and her fiancé finds out, cancels the wedding, because she wasn't preparing for her husband. She was acting like it was her last night to enjoy life. And yet the picture of marriage isn't a ball and chain. It's enjoyable to share life with someone. It's stronger together than apart. It's glorious to move with people who are saying, we're going to be affirming one another and building one another up. It's strategic. It's strengthening. It's joyful. That's the picture of verse 10. To be pure and blameless and ready for the day of Christ. When our faith will become sight. When Jesus, who is the bridegroom, will come for his bride. And so the life of the Christian is not, well, it's going to be boring in heaven, so we better party now while we can. No, it's to prepare for the greatest enjoyment in all of eternity. Everything we have to live that the world says is pleasurable now does not even scale compared to where life in Christ is. And so Jesus isn't a ball and chain bringing us down. He is the greatest covenant relationship to ha ever have. And so knowing what is right and doing what is right is preparing for the day of Christ. Paul's already mentioned the day of Christ in verse 6. He's confident that that is the time when God would complete the work in us. And so certainly Paul's not speaking of, of some moral perfectionism here before Christ returns, right? Even later on, Paul says, not that I've attained it yet, no moral perfection until the day of Christ. Even in our own passage, we know that Paul's not talking about perfectionism in this life because he wants them, he's praying that their love would, what's that again? Abound more and more. Well, it doesn't need to abound if it's already perfect. And so we know Paul's not speaking about moral perfectionism here. Paul's not suggesting a me and Jesus perfectionism. Paul's praying that the church would be pure and blameless. And that's a big deal later. Because in just a couple chapters, in chapter 3, Paul is going to mention people who claim to be Christians, but were no longer living as a Christian but we're walking as enemies to the cross of Christ. He says their end will be destruction, not completion. 
And so when Paul is praying for these believers, that they would live faithfully in, 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 in how they think and in how they live, this isn't some theoretical ivory tower idea. Paul has the names of people in his mind, of people who might have started off well, but are now walking as enemies to the cross of Christ. And Paul doesn't want the Philippians to be that. And we don't want to be that either. And so the greatest thing that we can do when we pray for one another is to pray that our love would abound more and more with all discernment and knowledge so that we'd be able to approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The day when our faith will be made sight. The day when all the, all the joyous celebration will begin. And so when Paul is praying that these believers would live faithfully, man, he, he knows of people who shipwrecked their lives instead of being ready for the day of Christ. And so friends, when Paul mentions the day of Christ, that's not some warning against judgment. It's actually the reminder of a great promise. Christ first came and lived a sinless life and died on the cross as a judgment against our sin for us. And then he rose on the third day. He defeated death. He defeated the power of sin. He ascended up into heaven to prepare a place for us. And so the day of Christ is when Jesus will return and bring all of his ransomed people home with him to glory. And so Jesus calls us to prepare for that day, for the day of his return, to be ready as a bride who is ready to meet her groom on the wedding day. And so the call for us is to turn away from evil, to place our faith in Jesus the Messiah and prepare for his return by growing in our love from knowledge and discernment to know what is excellent and live lives reflecting the love of God towards us by being pure and blameless. Being filled with the fruit of righteousness, that first part of verse 11, is really just another way of describing verse 10, right? Right thinking and right living. So knowing what is right and doing what is right is how we prepare for the day of Christ. Being pure and blameless is not the result of a self-improvement program. It is the work of God. And it will be finished at the day of Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Uh, that phrase modifies the word fruit, if you're an English person, not the word righteousness here, I think. Uh, the fruit of righteousness is the evidence of God at work in our lives, growing in our love through knowledge and discernment, and then approving what is excellent and living that out with our eyes fixed on the day of Jesus. So friends, make it your aim to live biblically, to live faithfully, and then finally to glorify God greatly. Let's look at that last phrase of verse 11. All of this, Paul says, to the glory and praise of God. You know, Christians who have their eyes fixed on the day of Christ, Christians who, who are able to approve what is excellent and follow Christ with their lives, uh, well, it, that's the greatest use of their very lives. That, that's why Paul prays this for them. Right? Paul's not praying terrible things for them. 
No, he is praying these things for people who he has deep affection for. He's praying the most terrific things for them. And so for Christians to think and to live faithfully before God brings Christians the greatest joy and their love will grow more and more. So people who love much have much joy. But there's a dual result that also occurs. Yes, the Christian will be ready for the day of Christ. That's result number one. But result number two that also happens is that God receives glory and praise. And so as Christians, we are called to find deep joy and satisfaction in living for God and preparing for the day of Christ. And at the same time, God is greatly glorified and praised when we live out that way. So that actually should be the goal of every Christian life, for God's name to become famous through how we live, to give God glory by how we live. The glory and the praise of God is why Christians share the gospel. It's why Christians make God their first priority in their lives, above children's activities, above their bank account, above their own lives. That's the only reason why Paul can say here in just a couple weeks that we're going to read, it's the only reason why Paul can say that he wants Christ to be honored, whether in his life or in his death. It's all for the honor and glory of God. That's why Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he reminds them, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Not to please Paul, no, to please God. And so the goal of the Christian life is to bring praise and glory to God. And the greatest way that happens is when Christians are preparing for the day of Christ's return and living lives that match what it looks like to know God. So Christian, living our lives in a way that highlights the mindset of Christ, living our lives in a way that, that reflects the actions of Christ, and even the forgiveness of Christ makes much praise go to God because it's God who's transforming our lives. We want to be filled. We want to be people who are filled with evidence or the fruit of righteousness to make God's name so famous in our town and in our streets and in our neighborhoods. Our Christian lives should reflect our love for God. It should reflect our commitment to God and it should make God's name infamous. So how do you make God's name great in your life? Well, I don't think there's only one way. I think there's lots of ways. But the big deal is asking, is God's glory even a thought in our minds throughout the week? So parents raising kids is changing diapers in love, trying to bring glory to God? What about cooking dinner for the family? Does that correspond to God being praised in how we do that? What about making money for the family? Is that being done to the glory of God or the glory of the bank account? How do you live as a neighbor on your street to the glory of God? In what ways are you trying to have a great relationship with your neighbors so that you can live out the love of Christ to them? Have a block party. Have a barbecue. Invite neighbors over for a burger. Play catch with a neighborhood kid. 
Share delicious, delicious eggs with your neighbors if you happen to have extras. That's the main reason why we wanted chickens was actually for the sake of our neighbors. We're called to think and to live with evidence of following Jesus in such a way that God's name is praised. So let our lives be songs and displays of God's greatness. Because as our scripture reading said, we don't want to love merely in words, but in action and in truth. So a helpful question when assessing life is, is, is what I'm doing, does that, what does that say about God? Does this make him look great? Or does it make the world look better? I think that will be helpful in assessing whether our lives are pursuing God's greatness or reflecting the world's love. So brothers and sisters, if God's glory isn't our aim, then God's kingdom isn't actually our priority. If God's glory isn't our desire, then God's fame doesn't actually matter to us. And if God's fame doesn't matter, then it's not actually God you're living for, but something that just won't last. So let God be most glorified as we are most reflecting knowing God in our lives. So remember, Paul is praying this prayer for the Philippians because he wants their love to grow, because love that grows and matures based upon the truth brings great glory to our Savior. That's why we exist. That's why God created the universe and everything in it. That's why he created us in his image. It's that we, every single time we see someone else here on earth, we would say, mm, look how great God is. Look at that person. Look how great that God is. Look, look how he made that person in such a unique way. See, I- image of God, imagi, imago Deo, is, is, not, is not just a theological idea. It's how we understand and love God. God making us in his image is for his praise and glory. And so that's why we live. That's why Paul says he's okay if he dies. It's because God will be honored. Friends, make it your aim in life to love biblically, to live faithfully, and to glorify God greatly. You know, our lives are not our own. We've been bought with the price of nothing less than the blood of the king. He has saved us. He's rescued us. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's adopted us. And then he sends us out for the advancement of the gospel. And so let our lives, let our life goals, if you fail high school and can't make it to any trade school or college, if everything that the world says, this is what is important, if all of that fails, but if you are growing in your love with knowledge and discernment and able to approve what is excellent and living a life that is pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God, well then friends, that's not a wasted life and that's not a failed life. Friends, our life goals above retirements, above locations of where we want to live, above career choices. Our life goals are about God. 
about his praise and glory and letting that be made known in our day-to-day lives. Not just what we sing about on Sunday, but in how we live every single day. Let us make much of God. Let's spend just a couple moments right where we are responding to God because we believe that everyone, when we hear the word of God, is called to respond to it, not to hear it and ignore it. So let's spend just a few moments uh, personally reflecting on what is God calling me to do this week to make much of his name. And then I'm going to close us in prayer and the band will lead us in another song. Heavenly Father, forgive us for living for things that don't make much of you. Father, it's such a temporary goal to live for anything but you. God, you are eternal. We will be with you for eternity, for all who hope in Christ. You will complete the work that you've begun in us. Lord, would we fix our eyes on the day of Christ, that great promise that you will not abandon us or leave us, but have planned and designed to be with us. Oh Lord, let us be a bride waiting for her groom. Lord, let us be a people preparing to be with you. Lord, let us not be short-sighted and to forget the day of Christ that is coming. Help us to be ready. Help us to prepare. And Lord, would that happen by our love abounding more and more. Lord, with knowledge and discernment and, and uh, uh, then being able to approve all that is excellent. Lord, would you help us to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Lord, would you fill us with the fruit of righteousness that comes only through Jesus. And Lord, we pray that above anything else. Lord, we pray that your name would receive all praise and glory and fame and worship. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Have a great rest of your Lord's day.